Wasn't that cool? What a cool job. This was in Onaki, the Onaki herd near Dugway, Utah. Anybody know where Dugway is? It's very close to nothing. <laughs> it's about an hour and a half southwest of here. And so these horses are managed by the Bureau of Land Management. And the, the area that they're in only supports about 300 horses. And so the overflow each year is brought to Cliff. And then he gets them ready for adoption and, and does what we just saw. What a cool job in a beautiful place, isn't it? And I got to just a little side note. This has nothing to do with the message, but don't we just live in a gorgeous place? Seriously, the last two days, I'm, I'm actually walking a little like a cowboy this morning, like Cliff. I, I ran the Ragnar the last two days. Yes. Oh, I tell you, but it was beautiful. We started up in Logan and then ran down the, I guess, the Cache Valley, is it? In a place called Eden, Utah. That's the right name for it. I tell you, just gorgeous. And we get to live here. It's just awesome. So I was a little jealous here of Cliff when I saw that video of, of what he gets to do and where he gets to live and being a cowboy. I mean, how cool is that? Modern day cowboy. Any of you guys, you fathers, happy Father's Day, by the way. Who grew up wanting to be a cowboy? That's it? Just me? Okay, just me and you. <laughs> My little Kobe, he, uh, he wants to be a cowboy and a fireman. A fireman cowboy. All right. I remember growing up just, just always dressing up as a cowboy when I could. When we had occasions to dress up, I was going to be cowboy. And we had this German cowboy story. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, of Old Shatterhand. Yes, also a kind of weird name. Old Shatterhand and his, his Native American friend, Winnie Too. And I was always Old Shatterhand. And it was just, it was just a thrill being a cowboy, a real man. And that's the picture of a real man that we grow up with, isn't it? A tough guy, a real man, a, a cowboy, kind of hard, independent, free, uncontrollable, John Wayne. Fathers out there, isn't that the man that you wanted to grow up to be? Is that the, the man that you want to raise your son to be? Today is Father's Day and we're going to continue in our series called The Opposite Way. We're in a passage in Matthew that's called um, the Sermon on the Mount. It was really Jesus' first coming out party as a teacher. And in the Sermon on the Mount, I often, I think, um, I think Lad referred to it as that a couple of weeks ago too. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of like the state of the kingdom of God address. Where, where Jesus lays out, this is how God set this all up. This is how we're supposed to function if we want to follow him. And within the Sermon on the Mount is a section in, in Matthew 5 that's called the Beatitudes. And that's specifically the section that we are in and have been for a while the Beatitudes, we find them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And today, because it's Father's Day, we're talking about verse 5 that says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Right? Father's Day, the picture of a man, meek. Right? Who of you fathers opened a card this morning and, and your children or your wife just thanked you for being such a meek man? Anybody? Those of you ladies out there who are married, don't you just appreciate your husband's meekness? Those of you who are still waiting for Mr. Right, are you uh, looking for Mr. Meek? Seriously, have you ever, ever looked for somebody and desired to have a man in your life who, who just exemplifies and identifies meekness? Anybody? 
Seriously, you fathers, is that, is that the characteristic that you, that you strive for, that you look for? Is that what you want to raise your sons to be, meek men? No, not so much right. This should be interesting this morning. But this passage isn't only addressing men. Jesus is addressing anyone there, um, and it includes women. So I just want you to ask yourself, is meekness a characteristic that you've ever sought in yourself? Is that a quality that you've ever wanted to develop in yourself, meekness? Because Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. According to a newspaper column, a guy called J. Upton Dickerson was a fun-loving guy who said he was writing a book entitled Cower Power. He also founded a group of submissive people, and he called it Doormats. And that's an acronym that stands for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls, if there are no objections. And their motto was, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. And their symbol, their symbol was a yellow traffic light, kind of in between, not going forward, not really stopping, just kind of flying under the radar and not ruffling any feathers, right? The doormats. I think part of the problem that we have with a passage like this, where Jesus tells us, if you are meek, you're blessed, and there's, there's a promise attached to being meek. And we read that, we read that, of course, with our filter today. Salt Lake City, 2011, meek means certain things, doesn't it? The problem is our contemporary understanding of the word, and this is how Webster would define it today. Meek today means to be quiet, to be gentle, easily imposed on. That's what we all want, right? Um, submissive or overly submissive and compliant, spiritless and tame. Yay! <laughs> really, what that means is being a pushover. That's what meek means today. That's why none of you raised your hands when I'm talking, are you seeking to be meek? Do you want to be, be identified as meek? Do you want to raise your children to be meek? None of us want that because this is what we understand. This is what we associate with that word, a pushover. And I have a feeling, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I think I know that that is not what Jesus had in mind. He was not saying, blessed are the pushovers because they will inherit the earth. That's not what Jesus said. And so what I want to do with you this morning is take some time to dig into this and dig into the Bible and, and find out what did Jesus mean at that time, back then over 2,000 years ago in, in Israel at the time, what did people understand when he said that? What was their understanding of the word meek? Because words do change meaning over time. I want to give you an example of that. In, in 1710, a guy called Sir Christoph Wren showed the new St. Paul's Cathedral in, in London to Queen Anne at the time. It had taken over 25 years to complete. And so finally he presents it to the Queen. And her reaction was, when she saw it, she says, This is awful, amusing, and artificial. That was a German's attempt at a British accent, utterly failed. But this is what she called St. Paul's Cathedral after 25 years of construction, awful, amusing, and artificial. And that was the greatest praise that she could give the people who built this. Because at the time, awful meant full of awe. It was awe-inspiring, amusing to them meant amazing, and artificial meant it was very artistic. See, today somebody comes in here and says, yeah, K2 was awful, amusing, and artificial. We wouldn't take that so well, would we? <laughs> Then it meant something completely different. The same is true for the word meek and many, many other words, obviously. Here's what meekness is not. 
All right? Meekness is not weakness. And so often for us today, we equate those two, don't we? But meekness, biblically, is not weakness. Meekness also is not false humility or putting yourself down. Meekness is not avoiding conflict or being passive in a confrontation or refusing to speak out when necessary. And meekness is not avoiding to use your talents and your skills when needed. So what is it? Let's have a look again quickly at Matthew 5, 5. This is what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, we, this is, I think, the third blessed passage, the third beatitude that we, we touch on. But I want to repeat a little bit. The word blessed, you know, we, I think it's also a word that we often misunderstood. You know, we say bless you when someone sneezes, and we really mean don't get your germs on me. But um, blessed, blessed is more than just being, feeling good or, or, or being happy. The, the word blessed in Scripture, really, in this context, means a deep, deep, deep-seated joy, a deep sense of fulfillment. That's what blessed means. Deep, deep joy and fulfillment. So what he's saying is those that are meek will have deep, deep joy and fulfillment and they will inherit the earth. The word meek that we find here is, is, you know the Bible wasn't written in English, right? You know that's a translation. Um, the, most of the New Testament was either in Greek or Aramaic. Aramaic is the language that Jesus spoke, but most of the, the ancient documents that we have are in Greek. And the Greek word used here is the word praus. And this is what it was described um, back then. This is the meaning. It, it was described for a soothing medicine. Or it was used by sailors to describe a gentle breeze that would move a boat on, lay, on, on the Sea of Galilee or on the Mediterranean. A gentle breeze. Or it was used by farmers to describe a broken colt, a broken horse. Smoothing medicine, a gentle breeze, and a broken colt. One of the descriptions that I found for this word, and I love this, and I think this will put it into great context for us to, to dig into. This is a definition of the New Testament use of the word meek, it is strength under control. Strength under control. It's controlling the strength and power that you have, and, and it has the meaning of submitting your strength to the control of somebody else. Meek is also used interchangeably throughout the New Testament with the words humble and gentle. So meekness includes the whole concept of, of being humble and gentle. There's a story in 2 Kings in the Old Testament, the story of a guy called Naaman that describes this really well or illustrates this really well. And I want to read this to you. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. Naaman was a commander of an army, of an army uh, that had carried, uh, uh, invaded Israel and carried a lot of the Israelites out into captivity. And he was the commander of, of the army of King Aram. And he had a, a Jewish slave girl in his household. And he came down with leprosy. And this is where we'll pick it up in, verses, in verse 9 and following. So Naaman 
went with his horse. Well, so he had leprosy, and his Jewish slave girl said, you, you ought to go back to the land of my origin and find a prophet Elisha. He can help you. And Naaman was desperate enough that he went. So in verse 9, he says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. That sounds simple enough, right? So here's the commander of an army, a man of in, in immense power and prestige and standing in his own land. He goes to the land that they had conquered to the prophet Elisha and Elisha doesn't come to the door. He sends somebody else but gives him simple enough instructions. And then in verse 13, um, uh, verse 11, it continues, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So here we have a very powerful man who had certain expectations. He thought his prestige and his, his power demanded personal attention. He had certain expectations and, and had made certain assumptions that weren't met. And obviously he wasn't real happy with, with jo the River Jordan. That was obviously uh, not up to his standards. And then in verse 13, we continue two more verses. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So again, here we have a very powerful man who's used to people doing what he, what he tells them to do. Expecting his, his power, his strength to, to lead him to healing in a certain way that he expected it to be. And, and then he, he was given very simple instructions. Just go to the River Jordan and wash yourself seven times. But his pride wouldn't allow it. His pride had, had demanded something else. Until he's confronted by his servant who says, if, if he had asked some great thing from you, some maybe, maybe a lot of money or something difficult, something that would have, would have uh, demanded you to use the strength and the power that you have as the commander of an army, you would have done it. You would have done whatever it took in your power. But here's something. He was asked to do something that was very humbling, something that apparently was beneath him, where his strength, his power and prestige had, had no bearing at all. And he wasn't willing to do it. His pride got in the way. And then his servant said, hey, listen, this is so simple. Why don't you just do it? See, he wasn't willing for him and his power to be controlled by somebody else. But when he was, what happened? When he was willing to be meek, to submit his strength to somebody else, when he was willing to humble himself... Healing took place. Divine healing took place. Power under control. There's another story that illustrates this very well. A conversation in the movie Schindler's List. Anyone seen that movie? Let's watch this clip together real quick. You're never drunk. Oh, that's... That's real control. Control is power. 
that's power. Is that why they fear us? We have the power to kill, that's why they fear us. They fear us because we have the power to kill arbitrarily. A man commits a crime, he should know better. We haven't killed and we feel pretty good about it. Or we kill him ourselves and we feel even better. That's not power, though. That's justice. That's different than power. Power is when we have every justification to kill. And we don't. You think that's power? That's what the Emperor said. A man stole something, he's brought in before the Emperor, he throws himself down on the ground, he begs for mercy. He knows he's going to die. And the Emperor pardons him. This worthless man, he lets him go. I think you are drunk. That's power. Amon, that is power. Amon, the good. I pardon you. powerful conversation in the context of that whole story and that movie. Earlier on, Amon, if you've seen it, stands on that balcony and just shoots people at random because he feels he has the power to do that. But what, what Schindler is talking about here is power under control. And we all know from history and maybe our own lives that power without control is, is destructive, very destructive. I, on a small level, I remember when I, uh, I was four or five and we found this little baby bird in our yard and we were going to nurture it back to health. And I remember holding it and being so proud and showing it to my mom and opening my hand and there was a little dead bird because I just didn't know how to handle something as fragile as that. And, and even as a four-year-old, I couldn't control my strength and, and, had, uh, <laughs> and had crushed that tiny little bird. Power without control is dangerous and destructive to ourselves and to others. So the question is, when, if meekness, the meekness that Jesus is talking about is power under control, under whose control? This is what, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. And this is from the King James Version. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and have, have, have and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Take your yoke upon me, upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. See, the biblical meaning of meekness is me and you. And the strength and power that we have as people submitted to the God of the universe. That's what meekness is. And I love the picture of Cliff gentling that horse. 
You know, these horses are powerful, aren't they? I love horses. Back in Germany, we lived right next to a horse farm. In any window we would look out, there would be horses out on the fields. And they just have, have power. They're just powerful horses, powerful beings. And, and submitting that and controlling that is, is amazing. Now, we as people are naturally independent. We have a desire for freedom, don't we? That's why we love characters like cowboys in movies who, who apparently are, are so free. And in the end of the movie, they ride off into the sunset and they're all by themselves. They do whatever they want to whenever they want to. But God knows what we really need. He made us. And just like Cliff, if you think back to that video and this, this picture of how he approaches these horses from a distance with that stick, how he gently begins touching them to show them, listen, my touch is good. I know you're scared of me right now, but my touch is good. Allow it. Allow that to happen. And it feels awkward at first and, and maybe threatening and... And then it begins to feel good and and bonding begins to take place. And I think God deals with us in a very similar way, the way Cliff deals with those horses. A lot of us have maybe had bad experiences with God, maybe mostly with people who, who said they were acting on God's behalf. That's often how our negative experiences of God come in. And so just like this, this, this untamed horse in the video, we shy away from him and, and we, we want to avoid his touch. But he wants to show us that his touch is good. That he knows what's good for us. That he has has our best interest at heart. That he wants to bond with us. And that's really what the Bible talks about in terms of our relationship with him. He wants to become one with you. Jesus says that in John 17, that he would become one with us just like Jesus and the Father is one. God wants to become one with you. I remember at some point watching the Olympics and, and a, a German rider, um, I think it was a question where they jump over all those obstacles. He was talking about after winning the gold medal, like we often do, he was talking about his, sorry, his relationship with the horse and how they have, he, he actually said, we've become one. When I'm on that horse and we're riding, he, the horse just knows where I want him to go because we've spent so much time together. We've done this so much and, and I help him get over these obstacles. And I think it's a great picture of what God wants for you and for me. He wants to gentle us, just like these horses are being gentled. And it's so interesting, when, when Josh was out there to film this and Patrick was with him filming, whenever they talked about breaking a horse, Cliff would, would correct him. Say, I'm not breaking a horse. We're gentling them. We're gentling them. And I think, I know God doesn't want to break you. He wants to gentle you. He's reaching out from a distance, coming to the point where he, he then allows you to step into that and engage that. And then submit to him and allow him to then gently lead you in the places that he wants to lead you in. And I think we're different from the horses. The horses were made to be wild. And this process of gentling is for their good in the context of that they live in now in a civilized world. We were not created, you and I were not created to live independent and wild and uncontrolled. God of the universe who loves you, created you 
for you to be in a relationship with him where he can gentle you one aspect of your life at a time and bring you into a relationship with him where we are meek in the way that we submit to him and his will, his good and perfect will for your life and for my life. Where we, we learn that his touch in our life is good. That, that his touch in our life is full of love. That he always has you in my best interest at heart. He wants a relationship with you and me where we become one with him and where we allow him to lead us to the point where we know what he wants for you and for me. And Jesus, obviously, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, was the ultimate example of that. We just read in Matthew, he called himself meek. But if, if you think of Jesus and his life and the unbelievable power that he had the power to heal, the power to know what other people were thinking. He, Jesus was God. He was all-powerful. And yet he submitted himself to the will of his Father. In Luke 22, verse 42, it's in his final, final hours in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's facing arrest and torture and death. This is what he says to his Father. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That is biblical meekness. Biblical meekness is the strength to say, not my will, but your will be done. Meekness biblically is trust in God. Meekness, biblically, is a willingness to follow wherever he leads you. And meekness, biblically, is confidence that God loves you and that he has the best of intentions for you. Even the way he leads you is not always going to be easy, but it's what's best for you. And then in this verse, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. There's a promise attached to the meekness. What he says is, if, if you are meek, if you submit your strength to my control, if you're willing to be led by me, you will inherit the earth. It's actually a, a quote. Jesus is quoting Psalm 37, verse 11 here. Psalm 37, 11 says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. I want to just break that apart a little bit here. Inheriting the land, in the context that Jesus was in, he was talking to Israelites in Israel. And the promise of inheriting the land had a very specific meaning to them. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, about Israel, um, hundreds of years earlier than this, being captured in, in Egypt and then being led out by Moses. And they were in the desert for 40 years, remember that, on their way to the promised land? Jesus is referring to that. What he's reminding them of here, God was faithful to lead you out of Egypt and to lead you into the promised land. That was his promise for the people of Israel if they followed and obeyed him. See, God's promises are conditional and his promise that they would inherit the land was dependent on their submission and obedience to him. That's why they had to spend 40 years in the desert, and a whole generation of Israelites had to die before they were allowed to enter the land because they had disobeyed him. They thought they knew what was best and walked away from him. And he said, okay, I'm sorry, I can't let you into the land. I will let the generation in that follows me. 
Now to us today, he's, he hasn't promised a certain piece of land. But he says, if we are meek, if we submit ourselves to his control, we will inherit the land. There is a promise for us. And I think the land that he's talking about here in peace and prosperity for us today just is the promise that God will care for us, that God will provide for us, that God will protect, that God will give peace and will give what we need. What he's saying to you and me today through this passage is, if you would just allow me to gentle you, if you would just allow me to rein you into the purposes that I've created you for, if you would just submit to me and follow me, I have things in store for you. There's promises, there's provision, there's peace for you. And I love the word inherit. He said we will inherit the word. What does, what does that mean, word imply to inherit? Who inherits? It's usually children, right? It's the descendants that inherit. What he's saying is by, by submitting to me, by, by allowing me to lead you, you become my child. And with it come privileges and promises. Another thing that an inheritance implies, and that we could have a whole message just on, on that word and what that means that, that we will inherit. An inheritance is always received. An inheritance is never taken or conquered. An inheritance is a privilege that we receive. See, power and pride demands and takes. Meekness, submission, and humility receives. And that's his promise here to us. I want to read again what Jesus says here and then give you my version for today in 2011. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Here's how I think he might say that today into our context and into our culture. Deeply fulfilled are those who allow God to direct their will because they will enjoy God's provision and promises. Does that make sense? Deeply joyful and fulfilled will you and I be if we submit our will to his if we allow him to lead us into the places that he wants to lead us and he promises us that we will enjoy his provisions and his promises as a result i don't know how you came here this morning or, or what you came with in terms of your your baggage where you're at in life maybe you feel a little bit like that horse in that video trapped in a pen And you just want to get away from God's touch. And maybe God's just at a distance with, with that figurative stick and just trying to reach out to you. Maybe that's what he's doing here this morning right now. Just reaching out for that first touch to let you know that his touch is good. That whoever misrepresented him in, in, in your life and hurt you in the process, that that wasn't him that his touch is good, that his touch is love, and that his touch is grace, and that his touch is forgiveness and peace and joy and freedom. And that if you would just allow him closer and more into your life, where he gets close enough where all you need to do is one more step towards him. Maybe that's what he's doing with you this morning. Maybe, maybe for the very first time.
and it feels awkward and you're scared like this horse trying to get away because you don't know where this is going to lead. And he's just asking you, let me get closer. Let me touch. Let me rub a little. And you'll see it'll feel good. Maybe you've walked with him for a long time already. You've already allowed that touch. Maybe you've distanced yourself a little bit from him again. Maybe there are certain areas of your life that haven't really been submitted. Maybe there are certain aspects of your life where you haven't been gentled yet. Certain areas of your life that you've kept to yourself where you've said, no, I'm going to be the cowboy in this area. <laughs> I'm going to be free and independent here. I'm going to do my own thing in this part of my life. Maybe there's areas that you, you intentionally haven't given to him, haven't submitted to him. Maybe that's your, your temper. Maybe that's your sexuality. Maybe that's your marriage or your child raising. Could be your career or relationships with coworkers. Could be any relationship. Could be your finances. Could be your pride. Could it be that, that Jesus is asking you this morning in a specific area, let me into that area. Let me gentle you in this area. Let me lead you in your marriage. Let me lead you in your sexuality. Let me lead you in your child raising. Let me lead you in your finances. I know what's good for you. Maybe that is what Jesus is asking of you today. I want to ask the band to come up. And I just want to encourage you to let God touch you. Let him get close enough. Let him lead you. Let him gentle you in those areas of your life that, that you're trying to keep control. In those areas of your life where you think you know best, areas of your life that you think you can handle in your own strength. Can you imagine him actually bringing healing to those areas? Him bringing, bringing freedom and peace into those areas of your life? That's what he's promising. If we submit ourselves to him, if we allow him to lead, he promises that he will bless. He promises that we will receive from him. Just like Cliff with those horses, God wants to show you that his touch is good, his touch is love, and that he only has your best interest in heart. He wants to lead you, and he wants to bless you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that words that Jesus spoke over 2,000 years ago in, in a completely different part of this world, in a different culture and language, can mean something to us today. Lord, would you help us to understand what it means biblically to be meek? Lord, would you help us understand that submitting to you is not weakness. It's finding our purpose and our meaning. And that you, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, wants to love each one of us and lead each one of us according to your specific purpose for us. And that true freedom comes in submitting to that and following you.
and that out of that will flow your promises and your blessings for our life. Lord, I just want to pray for those that are here this morning who, who might sense your touch for the first time. Would you give them peace to allow that? Would you give them strength to engage with you and to pursue you and to follow you? In Jesus' name, amen.